the one and only Cliff Richard and the Shadow. Hi, this is David Ghosty Wills, and welcome back to We Say Yeah, an unofficial monthly Cliff Richard and the Shadows fan podcast. Before we move on to this month's episode, I wanted to share some reactions uh, about last month's episode from our Facebook page, which is also called We Say Yeah. Mark J. Daniels writes, again, another terrific episode. Enjoyed it immensely. Can't wait for the next one. Keep up the good work and thanks. Thank you, Mark. We also heard from Paul Shilton, who writes, Hi, Ghost. You've been looking for a Cliff podcast for a while. So glad you're doing this. Really looking forward to the next episode. Love your work, my friend, especially your vintage pop shop when you actually interviewed Cliff. Keep them coming, mate, and I'll definitely be tuning in from here in Brisbane, Australia. Thank you so much, Paul. I'll tell you, we're rocking and rolling in Australia. We have a lot of listeners down there. And uh, Mark Cunningham, who was on uh, the second episode of the show, he had a, a lot of comments here, but I'm going to read this part. One of my favorite instrumentals is by Gary Moore called The Loner, and I was watching an interview with Gary Moore on YouTube, and he talks about being on the 50th anniversary Strat Pack show with Hank, and when Hank was on stage playing Shadows Hits, he was at the side of the stage, almost in tears, remembering his childhood and hearing Hank for the first time. Think he would need to dedicate one show just to highlight the amount of guitar heroes that Hank and the Shadows influenced. I totally agree. And you know what? I would love to get some of those guitarists that Hank has influenced to be guests on the show to talk about it. Uh, that probably will be down the road uh, as we move forward with this show. Today's episode is our longest show ever. Terry Hope, host of Cliff and Friends Saturday Night Takeaway Show on Paul Dyer's excellent cliffrichardradio.com, which is a 24-7 online Cliff Richard radio station. Uh, Terry is our guest. This episode clocks in at just under an hour. I try to keep these episodes under an hour because the reason for that is, you know, it's been my experience that I only have time to listen to podcasts on my commute back and forth to work, and it's 20 minutes each way. And sometimes I'll download my favorite show, and I'm, I'm sure you've gone through this too. And my heart will sink. It'll be like a three-hour episode. And I'll think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to listen to this in bits and pieces all week long. And then it's going to create a backlog, and I'm never going to catch up with the other shows I listen to. So I always try to keep these under an hour. However, the reason why this one is longer than usual is because Terry and I had such a great conversation. We cover a lot of material here. And you'll find out at the end of the episode how we could have gone on for another hour talking about something completely different. So hope you enjoy. And I began my chat with Terry by asking her when she became a fan of Cliff. I suppose you could say I've been a lifelong fan, but really I sort of, Became a fan probably in my teenage years when Cliff, David Cassidy, Donny Osmond and that crowd were all sort of the end thing. I think at that point he was just one of those that was, you know, one of my favorites, not necessarily at that time my favorite singer. You know, Cliff is a unique phenomenon because today we're discussing an album that came out in 1959 when Cliff was a teen idol. And here you are talking about the early 70s and he was still a teen idol. I, I don't know how he does it. You know, he's always so darn youthful. He looks after himself. Mm. Um, he uses diets and things like that. There's always debate over plastic surgery. Has he had it? Hasn't he? But I think a lot of it is just he's making a point of keeping himself young. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think he also he takes after his mother because his mother looked about 16 years old even when she was in her 40s. I've seen pictures of them together, and I think, goodness gracious, she looks so young. So how does one then take your fandom of Cliff and, by extension, The Shadows, and turn that into a show? on Cliff Richard Radio? Uh, regards doing my Cliff Richard Radio show, um, one day I was actually sort of listening to Cliff Richard Radio. Um, I'd recently heard about it. And, you know, it was sort of, no, this is great. I mean, it's a good place for getting Cliff music 24-7. So I contacted Paul and just said, well, you know, how do you go about starting a radio uh, station? 
And during the conversation, he asked me if I'd like to do a show. So can you say no to an opportunity like that? You know, talk right. <laughs> that you enjoy listening to, that there's, you know, Cliff's career, when you consider the length of time it's lasted and that he's got over 2,000 songs in his catalogue and there's a lot to talk about, there's a lot to play, there's, you know, you can, mm. you can always please somebody. I think the thing is, you know, Cliff, a lot of the time is not played on the radio. So having a station dedicated to him, you know, if you're having a bad day and you just need to get away from the hassles of the day, put Cliff Richard Radio on, listen to all the songs that are on that. And just having Cliff Richard Radio to turn to is, is great, you know, and Paul starting it was a, a brilliant idea because it does give the fans a place to listen to to Cliff's music, a lot of which you don't hear, you know, even when he's doing concerts. Um, he's even mentioned when he's sort of dropped into Cliff Richard Radio that, you know, oh, they're playing, I think it was Empty Chairs he mentioned one time. And um, he sort of said, oh, this is one of my songs. I didn't even remember recording it or singing <laughs> it or whatever, you know. So... It's helping him as well as helping fans, and it's giving fans a place to listen to pretty much everything that Cliff has done. And it's surprising what you can find that he's that he's actually sung. And you know, I even now, having quite a big collection of of his music, I'm still finding things that I've never heard. I'll tell you, Paul should take everything you've said and put it up on a billboard. You're an excellent ambassador for Cliff Richard Radio. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Cliff's second number one single and an album that is interesting in a lot of different ways. And also the Shadows single to wrap up the year 1959, Saturday Dance, backed with Lonesome Fella. But I wanted to begin with Travel and Light, which was recorded on July 25th, 1959. It's a song written by Sid Tepper and Roy C. Bennett, released on October 2nd, 1959. And Travel and Light, in my opinion, sort of follows on the formula of Living Doll, but it's different because Living Doll is sort of a, I don't want to say frivolous, but it's a lighthearted song, whereas Travel and Light is moody. You know, it's a guy who's going to see his baby, he's going to have a happy experience, but it hasn't happened yet. So there's a kind of lonesome vibe to it. Got no bags and baggage to slow me down I'm traveling so fast my feet ain't touching the ground Traveling light, traveling light Well I just can't wait to be with my baby tonight It's one that the fans quite enjoy listening to. It's one of the more popular songs. I think Cliff just has his knack of being able to sort of relay the message, whatever it might be. Um, you know, yes, he's traveling light. He's got no comb. He's got no toothbrush. He's not bothered about that. He's, mm. you know, he's, he's on a mission. You know, it also reminds me of... I'm looking out the window, the Peggy Lee number that he recorded, which also has that kind of lonesome feel to it. Yeah. Cliff said that this song, he said this recently on an interview, that this was also a song that was earmarked for Elvis, which I guess would make sense because it's a Tepper and Bennett number and they did double duty for Elvis and for Cliff. Yeah. And it's also the first time that the shadows are credited as the shadows. So finally, we can stop having that conversation every time we mention that they were at one point called the Drifters, not to be confused with Clyde McFadder's Drifters. Anyway, that's all over. From henceforth, they will be known as the Shadows. Is the song? Go ahead. The Drifters versus Shadows thing, I think, does sometimes cause a bit of confusion among people. Like with the Cliff Sings album where... The Drifters are credited with um, with the recording of the album. 
the shadows are credited with the release of the album. Right. So things like that sort of make it a little confusing. And people are saying, well, are they different groups? What's the story? But it's the same people, just a different right. name to the group. So we flip the record over and we've got the song Dynamite written by, here's that familiar name, Ian Samwell. This was recorded on well, this this version is recorded on September 6th, 1959, obviously released at the same time with Travel and Light. And in comparison with the more recent Ian Samwell single material, this is a real step up. It's a great, great song. We're sailing across the stars onto a silvery moon. If you want to know what heaven's like, you'll be there soon. Well, give me kisses that it's before my very eyes. I know the side of you can generate a million sides. I'm all set for detonation. Baby, don't you know what? Well, three, two, one, zero, here I go. A sailing across the stars onto a silvery moon. If you wanna know what heaven's like, you'll be there soon. Dynamite. When the single first came out, a lot of people were asking for dynamite rather than traveling light, which actually resulted in it. Um, it came to number 16 as an unofficial double A side in the charts and remained in the charts for four weeks. And I can see why. It's a strong song. And, you know, I hear a lot of nonsense in certain books written about the history of rock and roll. And if Cliff is mentioned, sometimes I will read things like, well, after Living Doll and Traveling Light, Cliff never rocked again. And I think to myself, all you'd have to do is flip the record over. And in both cases, you would have heard Apron Strings on the last single, and you would have heard Dynamite on this one. And we haven't even gotten to the big rock and roll songs for me, like a Nine Times Out of Ten is one of my favorites, and there's much more to come. So Cliff is, is never far from rocking and rolling, as far as I'm concerned. That was my little soapbox statement, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, Dynamite is the strongest song. And, you know, when you listen, just when you hear the first sort of few notes of the of the intro, it, like, wakes you up, getting you sort of interested in what the rest will hold. Yes, it's got a dramatic Jet Harris uh, <laughs> intro there. And Cliff is screaming, you know, when he sings Dynamite. He sounds great. I mean, it's a powerful rock and roll song. So it's another one of those that sort of shows the wide range that Cliff has. Well, speaking of wide range, we are going to get into it now with the album Cliff Sings, recorded between July and September of 1959, released in November of 1959. And this is an album that is very odd in some respects, but... I guess we'll get to it when we get to it. What I'd like to do is just talk about each of the tracks briefly. There's a lot here. Beginning with Blue Suede Shoes. Uh, obviously the Carl Perkins number. Cliff's version is taken at a faster pace than either Carl's or Elvis Presley's hit version of the song. After you'd asked me to help with this podcast, um, I've sort of listened to a few variations on the song. And I've listened to Carl against Elvis Presley and Carl against Cliff. And in doing that, there's similar versions with both. Carl Perkins has got a, a version that sounds exactly the same as, as Elvis Presley. You know, maybe a few sort of changes. Um, there's another version that I heard Carl Perkins doing, which was very similar to the one that Cliff does. So Carl Perkins does seem to have recorded and released Blue Suede Shoes in both sort of the Elvis-type style and the Cliff-type style. 
I, I actually found that a little interesting that, you know, although you can hear sort of differences in each of the versions, they are very much alike. And it makes sense that Blue Suede Shoes is on this album for two reasons. One, if you were to have seen Cliff and the Shadows live around this time, that song would have been in their repertoire. So it's nice to have a studio version of a song you would have seen if you'd seen them in concert. And also, Cliff is such a huge Elvis fan, it makes perfect sense that this would open up his first proper studio album. And many years later, he would fulfill a lifelong dream by duetting digitally with Elvis on Blue Suede Shoes. Well, it's one for the money, two for the show. Get ready now, go get it going, but don't you stop on my Blue Suede Shoes. So the next track on the album is a song that I had never heard before, The Snake and the Bookworm, uh, more Schumann and Doc Pomus song, and originally recorded by the Coasters. This song grew on me. I, I, I didn't know what to make of it at first, but I really, really like it. And for me, Hank is the star of this one, with his lead guitar punctuating certain phrases. Like a snake And follows every step she takes He tracks her down on the way to school And she thinks he's a sneaky fool She's trying to get her homework done And he wants to go and have some fun The snake and the bookworm The snake and the bookworm I think Cliff and Hank complement each other um, in various ways in all the songs that they've done together. The Snake and the Bookworm, I think like you, I had to listen to it a few times to sort of figure out where it was coming from. Basically, it's talking about a boy who, of course, is wanting the affections of a girl who would rather get down in, into her books. <laughs> and I think just Cliff and the Shadows together add that little bit that maybe otherwise would be missing. That's another thing. The Cliff Sings album was actually done with four songs on each side by Cliff and the Shadows. And right. four songs by Cliff and the Norrie Paramore Strings Orchestra. Oh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, next up on side one, the song I Gotta Know. I was familiar with Elvis Presley's version first, but interestingly... Cliff recorded his version before Elvis. Wake up in the morning, feeling mighty weak, tossing and a turning. Well, I had no steeple, baby, which world I'll have taken to romance or I break in. Won't you say which way you're gonna go? It was also recorded by Bobby V and the song's co-writer, Paul Evans. Um, Cliff on the Cliff Sings album, it was done as a mono version, as were all the other songs on the album. And then the whole album was then transferred across to extended plays and there were four EPs brought out. Two of them were mono, two of them were stereo. I I almost feel that I Gotta Know is, in a way, almost country. Yeah, I, in fact, if nobody had gotten past these three songs, you would think to yourself, this is a very credible rockabilly album. Yeah. And you know, that mono versus stereo idea is going to keep popping up here because in some cases the stereo versions are a completely different recording or it's edited differently. And what needs to happen, and I hope someday somebody at EMI does this, there needs to be a reissue campaign on CD or maybe a box set or something that collates all this material. So you have the album as it was released the original mono, and then you've got the other versions that were used on the EP all in the same place. Yeah, I don't know that that'll ever come about, but we can hope. 
Yeah, I know we're we're past the point of no return on a lot of uh, physical media stuff. Maybe a deluxe download or something. So the next song on the album is Jerry Keller's Here Comes Summer. And funnily enough, the very first version of this song I ever heard was not Jerry Keller's or Cliff's. It was a version by the Dave Clark Five. It happened to be on one of their greatest hits albums. As for this version, it's very similar to Jerry Keller's. Uh, I like it. Here comes summer. I'm gonna grab my girl and run away. Here comes summer. I will go swimming every day. Let the sun shine bright on my happy summer home. Well, school's not so bad, but summer's better. Gives me more time to see my girl. Walks in the park near summer moon. And when we kiss, she makes my flat top curl. It's summer. You know, when you listen to the first few songs on the on the album, he's almost done everything where he started off with quite a fast-paced song and he's almost slowing down Yes, to each one. Um here Comes Summer seems to be sort of the start of the slower songs. But again, he's telling a story. He's telling you about what he's doing or going to do in the summer. And he just has a knack of making every song his own. And we know that Cliff really does love summer because he moved to Barbados where it's perpetually summer. So there, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Can't blame him. So now, Terry, now things get really interesting on this album. Because we've got Cliff singing with the Nori Paramore Orchestra on a series of songs that nowadays we would call them standards. And you know what? It is not uncommon, and it hasn't been since, I guess, the 1990s, for a rock star to put out an album with an orchestra covering standards. Rod Stewart did it. Paul McCartney did it. Everybody and their brother-in-law has done it. Cliff did this on his second album in 1959. Yeah, it was actually suggested by Malcolm Eddy. Uh, ah, the engineer. The engineer. Hmm. That was, was doing the, the album. Um, he went to Nori Paramore and suggested that they alternate the backing on the, on the album. And it's been said that both Nori Paramore and Cliff were a bit sort of... Not sure of that one. But, of course, putting it all together, it actually does seem to work. You know, I also think this was done for two reasons. One, no one knew if rock and roll was going to survive the 50s. And if you wanted a career in show business, you needed to diversify. And that meant doing movies. Cliff had already done his first movie. And branching out as a singer and trying other things. Plus... Wasn't it also done to counteract some of the bad publicity that Cliff was getting? He was considered a degenerate and a cruel exhibitionist yeah. and uh, a bad influence. And now here he is recording songs that even mom and dad could enjoy. It was in a way done to sort of broaden his audience so that it wasn't just those screaming teens that we all uh, hear about and get some of those people who maybe wouldn't listen to him. So, Terry, this is where I'm probably going to upset a lot of Cliff fans here. <laughs> now, I should let me preface this, what I'm about to say. <laughs> I love what we now call the Great American Songbook. Some of these songs are in that category. And I hold like a Nat King Cole and a Rosemary Clooney, Frank Sinatra, Bing Crosby. I hold them in very, very high regard. And I consider that music to be the greatest music of the 20th century. And having said that, I don't expect Cliff, at this young age, to be the second coming of Bing Crosby. <laughs> so I, I'm not expecting that. And um, I think at times, on certain songs, I think he sounds to me very hesitant and unsure of himself as a singer. Um, I think you'd probably find that's the same with all artists. But um, I think the one thing with Cliff is he will try his hand at anything. He will give it a go. And I do think with the, the Cliff Sings album, I don't know that um, using the two different groups as his backing was the ideal thing. Um, 
it does work, but he will always make every effort he can to put out a top-notch song, no matter what. And I've always, whatever I've listened to with him, I've always found him to be really sort of professional and he'll, he will give his all to something, even, you know, when it might not be quite what he'd want to do. I will say... These are all songs that, you know, were being sung at that sort of time anyway. Right. Right. I will say, though, that a few years later, he would record a song like Nothing's Impossible. Now, that's not a standard, but it's done in that style, right? Yeah. And he is effortless. To me, it's like night and day. So somewhere between 1959 and 1961, he has grown and matured as a vocalist so that by 1961, I feel Cliff can sing anything. I think, I think the growth of him as a vocalist, and it's something that people don't really talk about because I think, certainly when it comes to rock and roll music, I think we almost devalue vocalists we place a lot of attention on guitarists and you know the bassists and the drummers and we talk about songwriters and we we almost treat a vocalist as an afterthought and i'll never understand that that's almost anti-music to me but i see cliff growing leaps and bounds in those three years so let's begin with the first song i'll string along with you uh al dubin and harry warren i don't think this is one of the stronger vocal performances from cliff it's okay i'm looking for an angel to sing my love songs to and until the day that one comes along i'll sing my song to you for every little thought that you have say i've got Three or four. Yeah, it's not really one of his best and probably one of the reasons why it's been forgotten about by fans. Like on the radio show, when you ask for requests and things, it's always anything other than a lot of the songs <laughs> from these things. You know, Travelling Light, as we, that we talked about earlier, people will go for that, but... Things like I'll string along with you and that type of thing. I don't know. Maybe Cliff was feeling sort of uncomfortable having a different backing group where for quite a while he'd had just the shadows to back him. They knew each other. They were friends as well as workmates and whatever. So they could play off each other. And maybe he just felt not quite right working with people that maybe he didn't necessarily know as well. However, the next song is George and Ira Gershwin's Embraceable You, which is so good as a composition that even an unsure performance sounds great because the song itself is just incredible. It's one of the best songs ever written. Don't be a naughty baby Come to Papa, come to Papa do my sweet embraceable you. Again, Embraceable You was done as a way of helping Cliff to broaden his musical appeal and to demonstrate his vocal versatility, which I think in all the songs on this album, he manages to do. The next cut is As Time Goes By. Uh, Obviously, people remember this from Casablanca. And the arrangement here, and all of the arrangements by Nori Paramore are very tasteful on this record. The arrangement here is reminiscent of Chances Are by Johnny Mathis, which had only come out the year before. It shares similar string flourishes. So I think they were taking their cue from uh, Johnny Mathis. It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die 
Anyway, much like Embraceably You, as time goes by is such a great song that it's kind of hard to screw up, you know. So uh, even someone who doesn't like this type of music is not going to go, boy, what a terrible song as time goes by is. I mean, it's just it's great. And uh, this is a you know, it's a it's a good performance for someone so young. Yeah, I think it's one of those that was say standard for balladeers and crooners and, um, you know, those sort of singers. Um yeah, it's it's a popular sort of song, but I think again, you know, Cliff in his early years was still trying to find his feet. Yeah, I, I'm I'm cutting him a lot of slack here, so I hope that Cliff fans don't write me angry emails that I'm uh, you know <laughs> I'm not <laughs> overly enthusiastic about this. Um, the touch of your lips is the last song on side one here. It's a Ray Noble composition. The- of your lips upon my brow your lips that are cool and sweet in a way I don't think it's a good cliff song there's just something about it that doesn't suit him. Um, again, it's another another one for balladeers and and those sort of people. Um, having said that, it's been covered by Nana Muscuri, Nat King Cole, Andy Williams, and people like that. So, I mean, Andy Williams, when you think about it, is very much sort of on the same lines as Cliff. But I think Cliff was more um, comfortable singing more the rock and roll style things. So it does show that while he preferred rock and roll, he is actually able to do just about anything that's put in front of him. Well, we get into that comfort zone again when we flip the record over and we get to side two. And now we're back on solid ground. And and to me, oh, I, it's almost like a sigh of relief, and I hate to say that because it's not like I'm saying the the Nori Paramore Orchestra recordings are bad. They're not. You know, I just think that Cliff is, we're getting Cliff again, you know, uh, as as he was at that time. He's much more comfortable with 20 Flight Rock, and I think this is a great version of the song. I got a gal with a record machine when it comes to rocking. She's a queen. Well, I can dance every Saturday night. Well, I'm a little knock and hold her tighter, but she lives on 20th foreign town. The elevator's broken down, so I walk one, two, five, three, five, four, five, six, seven, five, eight, five more. Up on the 12th, I'm ready to drag. Well, 15th floor, I'm starting to sag. Reaching the top, and I'm too tired to rock. Yeah. 20 flight flight rock is I don't know it's it's Cliff and like you were saying you know I think actually Cliff and and the shadows do come across as the better grouping on the album it's almost like there's something missing within the orchestra side of things but I think the thing is you know as a fan I'm used to listening to Cliff and the shadows so therefore, I suppose you could say I'm in a way biased because the Cliff and Shadows ones just seem to have that edge. It's a highlight for me. It really is. And, you know, I like the next song, too. This is another Carl Perkins number, Pointed Toe Shoes. I'm not sure what Carl's talking about. I mean, I guess that there had to have been at one time uh, you'd go to a dance and you'd wear pointed toe shoes. I, it's sort of lost to history what exactly the fashion was or what that represented, but it's a good little rock and roll number.
probably something to do with going to a dance or something like that. Yeah, or maybe Carl Perkins just wanted to corner the market on songs about shoes. Now he's got two. (laughs) (laughs) He's got two songs about shoes. So now we move on to Mean Woman Blues. I got a woman mean as she can be I got a woman mean as she can be But sometimes I think she's almost mean to me A black cat up and died of fright Because she crossed his path last night Obviously, Cliff had heard Elvis Presley's version from the film Loving You. And in the U.S., this was chosen as the flip side of No Turning Back. It was also released in the Philippines as its own A-side. That was released in 78 RPM format. Um, I don't know that this is one of his better songs, okay? Mm. I suppose I could say I haven't really sort of given it the time that it needs. Um, as I've said before, you know, Cliff will make it his own anyway. And I think a lot of the time when you listen to Cliff, you might not like it the first time you hear it. But the more you listen to a song, the more you get what he's trying to put across. Well, I know that they performed it a bunch because I've seen them do it on uh, television. There are television clips of them performing it so it was certainly a, a i guess a favorite of theirs the next cut on the album is i'm walking which of course originally made famous by fats domino but cliff's version is very much inspired by ricky nelson's version in fact it's almost identical to ricky nelson's version to the point where it, he sounds like ricky nelson Yes, indeed, and I'm talking about you and me, and I'm hoping that you'll come back to me. I'm lonely as I can be, and I'm waiting for your company, and I'm hoping that you come back to me. What you gonna do when the well runs dry? You're gonna run away and hide. But as far as Cliff's version goes, and Mark Cunningham had said this on a previous episode, the shadows really found their sound backing Cliff on this album because they are top notch on every single cut. They are perfect. They sound phenomenal. That's another thing. Tony Meehan, although, uh, I mean, he was playing with the shadows, but he also played drums through all the, um, the Nori Paramore orchestra songs as well. Oh, wow. Um, he actually played the whole album playing drums, generally using a metal brush as his drumsticks. Wow. So Tony, Tony Meehan is the MVP of this. Al- I mean, aside from Cliff, to- yeah. <laughs> Tony Meehan is, wow. Okay. Props to him. So we can do the next three songs pretty quickly, I think. We're back with Nori Paramore's orchestra with I Don't Know Why, I Just Do. I'm more familiar with Frank Sinatra's version with uh, Tommy Dorsey. You never seem to want my romancing The only time you hold me is when we're dancing I don't know why I love you like I do I don't know why but I do I don't know why So it's, you know, it's it's good. Anything to add about I don't know why I just do? He used it on his Time Machine tour. Ah. That was celebrating his 50 years in music. Um and it was also one of the songs that was chosen for the limited edition live album. It's interesting it's interesting that it's had this long life outside of yeah. the album that Cliff would revive it. So it must have some significance for him. The next cut on the album is Cliff's cover of Little Things Mean a Lot, which had been a hit for Kitty Callan in nineteen fifty-three. Give her a hand when she's lost the way. Give you a shoulder to crown Whether the day is sunny or gray 
Give her your heart to rely on. It's okay. You know, uh, this is another one. I mean, I like the song, and um, yeah, that's that's. I don't have much to say about it. Took it to number one. Yes. In America and yeah, it was also recorded by Cilla Black, one of Cliff's good friends. Sure, of course. She's also done it. So the penultimate track on the album is Somewhere Along the Way. I think most people associate this song with Nat King Cole. Uh, This version is pretty good. You know, as we're talking about these songs and we're listening to snippets of them, it just occurred to me that maybe really what should have happened is Nori Paramore might have changed the tempo a little bit because all of the Nori Paramore orchestra songs are ballads, and maybe that's where a little bit of this fatigue is coming in for me. Then love slipped through our fingers Somewhere along the way I should forget But with the loneliness of night I start remembering Everything you're going yeah. When I'm in the mood, I like listening to it. Um, the orchestra does compliment his voice. His voice is sort of, and his abilities in the singing are sort of stretched, but they're never overstretched. And again, it's another technically difficult song, which he's managed to pull off. And you know what? The last song on the album... That's My Desire, which Frankie Lane had a big hit with. The version I know is a doo-wop version by The Letterman from 19, I want to say 61. And I think of all of these, for me, this is my favorite. This suits him better than maybe some of the other ones. To spend one night with you in our old rendezvous and reminisce with you that's my desire to meet where chips is it is one of the ones that i tend to go to you know like if i'm looking for music for my show it is one that hmm. I have played reasonably regularly. There's just something about it that takes you back to it. There's just something about it that stands out. And not too long afterwards, the Shadows would release their own version of That's My Desire, a vocal version, and I think I like it better than Cliff's. To spend one night with you So as we start to wrap up our discussion uh, about this album, you can't argue with success. It went to number two. It established Cliff as an album artist. You know, he could have been just a singles artist. Here he made a proper studio album. It sold. It was successful. People liked it. We can quibble about what works and what doesn't work on the album. Maybe it would have been a better idea to put all of the Cliff and the Shadows songs on one side and all of the Nori Paramore Orchestra songs on the other side, have the party side of the album and the makeout side of the album, but whatever. The big takeaway, really, from this is you've got some great stuff here. You've got some really killer rock and roll. You've got Cliff showing off his voice, as, as you said, and also you've got Cliff taking a big risk because... This is a very daring move to have an album that's 
straddling two worlds. He doesn't often get credit for being bold and daring, but here he is right out of the gate on uh, his first proper studio album. Yeah, he's he's definitely not scared to sort of try something new. And I think that's part of what's made him the success that he is. You know, okay, he might have a smaller following than some of the other groups or singers or whatever the case is, but at the same time, you know, he's had a longer career than a lot of other people. And, you know, where other people have said, I'm only doing this style or whatever, he said, well, you know, we've got to move on with the times. And he's at least said, well, I'm stepping out of the box and I'm going to try something which maybe I'm not comfortable with, but I'm, I'm going to give it my best and see where I go with it. And you can give him that much credit in that he'll go out of his way, you know, not only to please himself, but to please anybody listening to him as well. We'll wrap up this discussion by talking about this single by The Shadows. Saturday Dance is the A-side, backed with Lonesome Fella. Saturday Dance, written by Peter Chester and Hank Marvin. Peter Chester, like, like Ian Samwell, is one of these names that keeps popping up, a friend of Bruce's. And this song, it's funny, Saturday Dance, like a lot of these Shadows vocal singles, which were not terribly successful, I, obviously they found much more success as an instrumental combo or backing Cliff, but this reminded me of an obscure pre-Simon and Garfunkel single when they were known as Tom and Jerry, a song called Hey Schoolgirl. And I was asking myself, now that that's strange because there's no way that the Shadows could have heard that. And then I realized why. It's because both Hey Schoolgirl and Saturday Dance are influenced by the Everly Brothers. So <laughs> it was reminding me of another Everly Brothers pastiche. I like it. It's a fun song. It's a bouncy song. It's not great. You know, the Shadows would not achieve greatness. Well, it, it would be next year, 1960, that they would achieve greatness and set off on a path to greatness. And, you know, it's just a early, fun single. Come on, baby, give me a chance. Let's go to the Saturday dance. We start now, we won't be late. Stop to land about eight. What do you mean you're going to bed? Come to the dance with me instead. Go upstairs, put your glad rags on. Join me, huh? And we'll have some fun. Saturday Dance was recorded on the 25th of August, 59. Lonesome Fella on the 13th of September. Um, I prefer Saturday Dance to Lonesome Fella. Mm. Um, Lonesome Fella... I don't know. I'm <laughs> minds on that one. Um, I enjoy Saturday dance. I will say that that is, you know, if I was given a choice of those two, Saturday dance would be my first choice. Yeah. I mean, Lonesome Fella, it's another Peter Chester composition. And Lonesome Fella has Jet Harris taking the lead. I know the Shadows always mentioned that Jet hated singing lead or hated hearing himself. And... Lonesome Fella has two two issues with it. It's not as good a song as Saturday Dance. And also, the beginning of it sounds a heck of a lot like Come Go With Me by the Dell Vikings. Lonesome Fella Lonesome pants so blue Lonesome Fella all on account of you, lonesome fella, walking around all alone, all alone, walking alone. Well, Terry, this has been great. I want to thank you for um, being on the show. And before we go, if you could tell people where they can hear you and what times and all of that good stuff. Okay, well, I'm actually doing two shows at the moment on Cliff Richard Radio. Um, I do one on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. On a Monday, my Saturday one is called Saturday Night Takeaway with Cliff and Friends. I do try and play Cliff's 
friends, so to speak, you know, people that have either sung with him, um, inspired him, um, that he's helped out and things like that when I get a chance. Um, you just tend to sort of on these things go towards, um, you know, Cliff. And before you know it, the two hours is up and you've played all Cliff and nothing else. Um, Mondays is uh, Monday Night Jukebox, where basically the jukebox picks the songs. Um, And both shows are on at 8 o'clock UK time on Cliff Richard Radio. Well, thank you again for for doing this. Another claim to fame is a book that I did. Oh, what's that? Um, We called it Thank You for a Lifetime. Terry, that's you? That's I wait a minute. I didn't even know that that was you. Yeah. Well, Terry Time to Sue with Love. You know, now that I know that, wait oh my goodness. All right. Well, I have to have you back at some point because we'll have to talk about that book. I'm always fascinated by that book because that had to have been a a massive undertaking to get all of these stories and put them all together in the in that book. It took a team of four. It's still um, we're still busy with it now, but um, the best part about it is we have now raised around 11,000 pounds for Cliff's uh, charitable trust. Well, fantastic. You know, and people listening to this, they're going to get to the end. They're going to say, and and you didn't know, David, that, that Terry spearheaded the uh, Thank You for a Lifetime book. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even bring it up? Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to join our Facebook page, We Say Yeah, and you can leave comments on there about this particular episode, or you can send an email. It's we say yeah podcast at gmail.com. Take care until next time. We say yeah. We say yeah. We say-